0: I want to add my happy Mother's Day uh, wish for all the moms that are here. We're grateful that you are here this morning. Um, I actually received a Mother's Day wish myself by text this morning. Um, so let that be just a, you know, a public service announcement. <laughs> Update your contacts because I've had this number for about 10 years. So whoever was wishing mom, I don't know if she moved on and Didn't tell her son or whatever, but we're glad you're here. This morning we don't have a passage that is about or specifically for mom, so I just want to let you know that right from the beginning. Don't know what you're expecting, but I also want to mention that we also don't have a message about the dissolution of all things and the melting of The heavenly bodies catching on fire, which would have been my next passage in 2 Peter 3 this morning. Decided to go a little different route on Mother's Day. We'll wait and I'll share that one soon enough. I do think though there is application from this passage for moms as we continue in a bit of a, a running theme from the last couple of weeks. Uh, focusing on God's word specifically. If you have your Bibles, you can begin to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. In 1981, a young pastor named John Piper sought to encourage Sunday school teachers in his congregation who felt a sense of Quantitative hopelessness when considering the one measly hour they get with children who watch countless hours of television every week. Obviously, a problem that no longer is relevant 40 years later. But Piper urged them not to overlook the value of a holy encounter. And the lasting, transforming power of an insight. He used reading as an example. He said, I do not remember 99% of what I read. I don't remember books whole. He went on to say, it is sentences that change lives. Not books. What changes a life is a new glimpse into reality or truth or some powerful challenge that comes to us or some resolution of a long-standing dilemma that we've had. And most of those, the insight, the challenge, or the resolution, are usually embodied in a very short little space. A paragraph or a sentence, and whammo! It's 1981. 1981. It hits home, and we remember it, and it affects us our whole life long. I think that's a comforting observation. First of all, that someone like John Piper doesn't remember everything that he reads. I find that comforting. And the fact that remembering everything we hear or read isn't actually the point. Those moments of insight are a blessing that Piper says make the other 99% of reading worth persevering through. Now just to be clear uh, he was referring to reading broadly. He wasn't speaking specifically about scripture and our intake of scripture which will be our focus this morning. So there are some distinctions But the big idea, it's a helpful place to start. I trust that most of us have experienced those aha moments in our quiet times or listening to the preached word where something comes alive to us like never before. Hopefully more than just 1% of the time. When we gain insight or understanding or revelation that just clicks, makes the other pieces of the puzzle seem to fall into place. Such moments with God's word are refreshing, exhilarating, convicting, reassuring. But when it comes to God's word, we shouldn't discount the less dramatic 99%. Or whatever percent we might perceive is not readily bearing fruit in our lives. Because even if we don't come across a new insight that changes our lives... The purpose of reading and listening to the word is not to be able to consciously recall every word we have read or heard, but to keep refining the lens through which we see reality. It's to be shaped by the word and have it reframe our worldview. Sometimes that comes in aha moments. But it's just as often. Maybe more so, something that's built over time with repetition, producing cumulative growth in our understanding and acceptance. Many times, what doesn't seem to affect us immediately is being stored up for a future fruitfulness God will bring about. In due season. Two weeks ago, Dave Kraft encouraged our scripture intake on what he called habits of the heart, regular practices where we seek to take in and ingest God's word. Last week, Matt spoke from 1 Thessalonians on God's word and our acceptance of it. And he mentioned and read the verses that we're going to focus on today. Isaiah 55 Verses 10 and 11. Would you read them with me? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Two points to make this morning and then three applications. Let's start with our first point. God's word is productive. It produces the fruit that God intends. What a beautiful illustration Isaiah gives us here. Something we're all familiar with in the precipitation that falls and nourishes the earth. So is God's word. It refreshes, sustains, it brings growth. Isaiah in this section is using poetic language and structure which if I'm being totally honest, can tempt my eyes to glaze over before I even get started. My poetry sensibilities tend to begin and end with Dr. Seuss. Maybe a roses are red, violets are blue type verse or two. But I often feel lost when I'm supposed to find some hidden meaning in a poet's metaphors. And imagery, sadly, my girls inherited my inability. The poetry portion of their English classes are often exercises in absolute frustration for which I can offer no practical guidance or help. Fortunately, Isaiah isn't being cryptic here. He tells us exactly what his imagery is illustrating. The picture of the rain watering the earth highlights how productive God's word is. Where do we see this? Well, the four shalls in verse 11 make it pretty plain and obvious. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In this instant, Isaiah's poetic structure is all about driving home one point. God's word is productive. It is effective. It will accomplish what he intends and succeed in the goal that he sent it for. Notice, there's not an if or a maybe in sight. When Jesus came to reveal to us God, he was gentle and lowly but he was not indecisive or weak. And when Isaiah here reveals God's word and quotes the maker of heaven and earth, this isn't what he said. Just like the rain might help things grow, so it's possible my word could accomplish some good. When everything goes the right way and everyone cooperates like I wish they would, then my word might have a positive outcome like I sure hope it does. God is not timid about the effect, the efficacy of his word. Faith and hope are important elements of our walk with God from our side. But God does not hope. He knows the end from the beginning. He accomplishes all he purposes to. God does not need faith. There is no mystery hidden from him. He succeeds at all he intends. And that is what Isaiah is highlighting here. God's word is powerful and effective. It will produce exactly what he intends. He speaks no empty words and will have no unfulfilled promises or plans. He is not behind schedule or over budget. He does not lack ability or resources. His words caused creation to spring forth from nothing. When he declares, let there be, there is. Peace be still from his lips. May the storm where seasoned sailors were feeling, fearing for their lives be quiet and stop immediately. Lazarus, come forth, brought the dead alive. And he still speaks. We must not mistake this for any ordinary book. But the very words of the living God. It is not a collection of what he once said, but a revelation of himself to his people in every generation. It is effective not because it is some sort of magical book, but his very words. By his spirit, he continues to open blind eyes and bring the dead to life. This is not primarily a collection of sayings or a historical record. It is God himself speaking and making himself known. What he intends to accomplish is to bring us into relationship with himself, and to help us to know him better and walk with him more closely with every revelation that proceeds from his mouth. So shall my words be that come out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. How wonderful the times when the refreshment from God's word is immediate and tangible. And we are aware this is the exact word we need in this moment. Reading in our quiet time or listening to a sermon, it feels like it was written just for us. Like God himself is speaking to us directly. How wonderful, amazing, how kind and comforting. Those experiences can be so powerful that we can be tempted to think something is wrong or missing when we don't experience that. If God's word always accomplishes what he purposes, how come it doesn't always seem like I get something out of it? Why do John Piper's remarks about not seeming to benefit from a large portion of his reading seem to apply to my interacting with God's word too? Why do we often feel like we're reading or listening but not growing that's actually where I find Isaiah's imagery to be most helpful. Because we see that the productive word proceeds from a patient sender. For as long as I can remember, my dad has been part of the Gideons International organization that places Bibles in hospitals and hotels and motels, distributes scriptures to servicemen and women, students and nurses. We've all seen their Bibles. The little lit lamp in the corner. You may even have one or two in your home. Verse 11 has served as their mission verse. They are wonderfully convinced that God's word won't return void as the King James renders it. And so they distribute Bibles as broadly as possible. Growing up, his dad would visit different churches to share about the Gideons, something he still does. I I grew up on stories of God powerfully rescuing individuals, received a testament They didn't know where else to turn. Or started flipping through the Bible in the hotel that they had checked into intending to commit suicide. I still love those testimonies. And I respect the Gideon's commitment to see God's word in as many hands as possible. And having a role myself for now 20 plus years that is tasked with seeking to bring God's word to the intersections of both severe trials and everyday life, I find myself regularly praying for the gift of illumination, for inspiration, breakthroughs, aha moments of clarity and divine revelation. Because whether counseling Or preaching, I'm aware what people need is not to hear my voice or wisdom, but to have an encounter with God himself. But along the way of soaking up spectacular testimonies and praying for the aha moments, I've often overlooked the fuller picture of the promise that is being made here. I don't want to discount or diminish those impactful moments. And I'm really grateful for personally experiencing more of them than I can count. But God tells us through Isaiah that his word and its effect goes far beyond just the moment and the momentary. As Puyper pointed out to his Sunday school teachers, moments can impact a lifetime. Indeed, moments can impact eternity. But also because the moment we are reading or listening is often not the moment when the fruit is being harvested. It's when the seed is being sown or a sprout is starting to form. In the moment, rain is nourishing something that takes months to develop and years to produce consistent, healthy fruit. Listen to the levels of life-giving effects that are mentioned in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. I think I've overlooked this on so many occasions, but here's the thing. You don't get bread from a single rainfall. A single soaking rain may be enough to wet the earth and wake the seed, but you need repeated rain to sustain life, bring about healthy growth. And that next level seed that is provided for the sower, that doesn't come until the plant grows and matures. And to have enough produce to not only plant again, but have plenty of grain to provide bread for the eater, you, you need an abundance, a whole crop to come to fruition. The watering God gives through His Word, well, it's not just a sprinkle. It's not a downpour that dumps everything, then never returns. He gives his life sustaining rain again and again and again, enough for crops to come to maturity, with enough abundance for fruit to be harvested, for seeds to be planted again, with promise of future harvests. That's how he said. The words come from his mouth. Productive and life-giving, yes, but the fruit is not always immediate. Sometimes he helps us to change and grow rapidly, but his normal pattern is to transform how a person thinks. Loves, fears, wants, and trusts on a scale of months. Years, decades over a lifetime. God is not in a hurry. Many medicines are designed to be fast-acting. But some of those same medications have the letters "ER" after them. That doesn't mean they're for emergency room. Use only means extended release. Designed to not take effect all at once, but to slowly release the active ingredients over time, over several hours or days, even months. ER tablets aren't less effective than their fast-acting counterparts, just less immediate. And God has purposely determined that his word will not only work in the moment, but will have an extended release to be effective long after it was first ingested. I've purposely skipped over one important phrase so far that that further emphasizes this point. We focused on the rain watering the earth and bringing forth. But that's an incomplete picture. Isaiah says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth. I realize we live in South Carolina. Many of us have moved here to get away from the snow. In the cold weather. Many of you have grown up without ever having much to do with such frigid precipitation. So the inclusion of snow here might seem odd. In a place where frost and snow are more likely to cause harm to our plants than do good. Even picturing other climates and elevations where snow is more prevalent. Everything seemed dead during the winter months when snow falls. But snow's inclusion in this picture is pointing to the patient, persistent work of the word of God that often goes unnoticed. In colder climates, snow will often accumulate for months at a time on top of a frozen and seemingly lifeless landscape, waiting for the warmth of spring to melt it and bring to life what remained hidden and dormant for so long. And in many arid regions, Melting mountain snowpacks form streams and rivers that provide life-giving waters to rainless plains far from where the snow first fell. So, too, is the word of God. I think this is supposed to give us comfort for seasons we all go through where we don't see the fruit we want to see or feel the intimacy with God we crave. For the mom with young kids who is exhausted all the time, tempted to condemnation, because when will I even have just 10 minutes to be with the Lord, let alone feel like I'm growing again? And I, I think it is also supposed to give us comfort as we pray for those that aren't walking with the Lord for the child maybe that you wish was sitting next to you this morning. I've had the wonderful joy just this week of sitting with a couple of different parents who have been rejoicing in testimonies of softening hearts of their children that have been distant from them and from God for years. And they are seeing new activity at work in their lives. Something that they were not consciously or aware of they were causing. In many cases, they've had limited interaction or ability to have the opportunity to speak right now into their lives. And yet, Bridges are being built, and there are new desires being formed. God is able to transform a heart in a moment. The first time ever that we hear His good news, He's also able to give us fresh insight and affection for him from a scripture we've read a hundred times. Sometimes he gives us understanding and affection because we've read something a hundred times. Sometimes he delights to bring dead or dormant things to life with a bit of sun to a snowbank he stored up for this moment years before. God is not limited in when he can bring the life-giving waters of his word to bear upon a heart. So may we keep praying for those that seem far from him. If I had my wish, I want every encounter with God's word, every quiet time, every care group discussion, every sermon to be a gee whiz experience where it is unmistakable that God is really among us. We pray each week that eyes will be opened and hearts will be pierced. But thanks be to God. He doesn't only pursue instant results. He is purposeful and patient. He is in it for the long haul. The God whose timeline is eternity is comfortable allowing his purposes to unfold and to develop over time. So in light of the patient sender, His productive word have three applications I'd like us to consider the first is that we place ourselves under his life giving word pray for your personal understanding and illumination ask God to help you grow closer to him and more like Christ every day Also ask him to help you store it up for any possible future dry seasons. Read it, study it, memorize it, listen to it, meditate on it, hear it preached, pray through it, discuss how to apply it with others, cry out for your love to grow for the one who reveals himself through it. Aaron, what if if I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of quiet times or sermons or care group discussions or, or really want to do them. If it's not from the heart, I shouldn't do it, right? If you're in that place, please pray that God would warm your heart and your affections for him and his word. Pray that he would make you good soil, ready to receive his word. But don't stop. For hard, dry soil can be refreshed by even a single rain. And snow may accumulate where the ground is frozen, but when it is thawed by the spring sun, the stored up life-giving waters are already there, waiting to bring forth New sprouts, new life, new fruit, new harvest. Second thing I think we should ask God to help us with is the fact that storing it up doesn't mean keep it to yourself. Community means we have resources to not have to go it alone. Let's do this together. Let's seek to drink it in with one another. To share with one another. Yes, there are personal benefits of going through God's word. But, but there are benefits that come only through our practice of getting together and fellowshipping. And seeking to apply with one another. And if you have kids at home, pour into them all you can. 30 years from now, what will matter more than that they know and respond to God himself? We can't repent or believe for them So give them his word. Let them see that you treasure his good news. That you live and are changed by it. That you love the one who gave it to us and gave himself for us. And don't give up on those that seem too far gone. Pray for the prodigals. They can be far away in a pigsty when God reminds them of the Father's love. Final thing I want us to remember and to apply is to remember the patient sender's purpose. Purpose. If we are tempted hearing these things to think that we have failed at storing up God's word or squandered opportunities he's given us in our own life or with our kids or wonder whether he actually desires to rescue those we can be tempted to give up on, I would simply point us to the rest of this chapter to remember why he sends forth his word. Verses 1 through 3 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live. Down to verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. And that leads us right to where he declares, for as the rain and the snow Come down and water the earth. So shall my word be. So shall be my word. It goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Shall accomplish that which I purpose. Shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He sends forth his word. To reveal himself. And to call us into rich relationship with him let's pray together Lord I pray that that would be our experience as you have intended and sent forth your word that we would experience rich relationship with you, our creator and redeemer, our good shepherd who leads and guides us who makes sure that we are nourished and cared for and comforts us. Lord, we also pray for the prodigals, nor there are none that are too far gone from you. And on this day when that distance can be especially painful, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would warm and melt what is frozen, that you would bring to life what is dead and dormant, Lord, allow us in these different things the privilege of rejoicing over the revelation of your good purposes, your powerful, effective word. Oh, Lord, would you help us to see you at work? Would you draw us closer to yourself? And those we love, those that have come to mind during this time, would you draw them to yourself as well. Your name might be magnified. Amen.